Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The local station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with The Local Station. Hello there, and thank you for joining us again on our second episode of Going Ringside with The Local Station, our new venture into the podcast world, specifically on professional wrestling. Uh, we had our first episode last week, and we had a great response from the viewers, and we hope you uh, take the time to tell people about it. If they haven't heard, if you know of a wrestling fan, if you're in a wrestling group, or share it with friends who might like wrestling, let them know we're out here. We're trying to get the word out and hopefully have a good time. You can find us wherever uh, you can find your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. We also have our uh, News for Jacks YouTube channel. You can watch us there or, of course, newsforjacks.com. Search for our podcast. The best way is just to Google News for Jacks podcasts. So there's a new venture for us, and we hope that you enjoy it. Um, we want to talk about something that is very big Uh that is probably the biggest story maybe in the history of professional wrestling today, if not the biggest story ever, at least in 40 years. And I wanted to get to this early in the podcast because this is a big deal happening right now. And that is the potential sale of World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE. It's been talked about for a while, and we wanted to talk about it here. Um, we're going to go in depth about this. We may get all to it in this episode. I may string this into two episodes because there's so much to unpack here about the sale of WWE and what happens with the, McMahon's fam the McMahon family and who buys them. Um, this has been something that has been talked about for the last year or so. There was that issue with Vince McMahon having his sex scandal here in the last year or so, and he had to step away from his role. And then he returned in the last few months when there was talk that they were going to be sold. Um, I'm not really going to get in the scandal on this episode, but we will talk about him coming back to the forefront of WWE as the largest shareholder, possibly with the intent of selling it. So who does he sell it to? You know, about two months ago, there was uh, talk that he was going to sell it to the Saudis. In fact, it was more, more than talk. There were mainstream news articles saying WWE had been sold to a Saudi Arabian business interest. Of course, WWE has developed really a relationship with Saudi Arabia in the last few years. They've ran some very lucrative pay-per-views there. But then after a few weeks after that news comes out, they start to change and pull back and say that that's not accurate. That news was premature. WWE had not been sold to Saudi Arabia. But they're still talked about as a possible buyer. A few others are Comcast. I've heard some rumblings of Disney. Who knows how big that is? There's a company called Endeavor, which is affiliated with UFC. They're a big company. Um, and the talk is Vince wants to sell it, at least he's been quoted as wanting to sell it, for around $9 billion. Some people say that's too high a price. WWE is not worth that. Um, and what do you buy when you buy WWE? The big thing is the media rights. And that would be complex and that could prohibit, say, I'm not saying it would be Netflix, but say a Netflix wanted to buy WWE and put all their programming on Netflix. That would be hard because right now, WWE's video library is on Peacock. WWE programming is on Fox with SmackDown and Raw with, uh, on USA Network. So there's that you would have to deal with. Um, so we're going to talk about all of that, but we're going to talk about the one thing in here in this discussion that's of huge interest locally if there's anything to it. 
because there's one other buyer that if you look in articles, you'll see mentioned a few times, and that's Shad and Tony Khan. Shad Khan and his son Tony own All Elite Wrestling here based in Jacksonville, the second biggest wrestling company in the United States. And Vince wants to apparently sell for $9 billion. Shad, if you look around, is worth maybe a little more than $12 billion, considerably more than he was worth back when he bought the Jacksonville Jaguars. So being having a value of maybe $12 plus billion, would you buy something for $9 billion? Well, obviously, he probably couldn't do it with just that. He probably would have to get investors. We're going to get into that either in this episode or I might turn this into a two-part episode because there is so much and we will, of course, will get to all of it. Um, I want to make a quick note at the end of this episode that you're listening to right now. Um, I wanted to get to it. There is an independent show with wrestling coming up in this Saturday, if you hear it before, March 11th, and we decided to have them on because they have a, an event going on out at uh, the Baker County Fairgrounds. So we wanted to get that and give a chance to talk to them with Destiny Combat Championship Wrestling is the name of their organization. If you want any information, scroll to the end of this episode of the podcast. We'll have an interview with their booker there about what they have going on at the Baker County Fairgrounds this weekend. But back to the WWE sale and where things are at and whether the cons are realistic buyers. We'll get into that. I wanted to do this episode because it's really hard to imagine WWE without the McMahon family. And some of the articles, uh, I saw an interview with CEO Nick Khan. Nick Khan is the CEO of WWE, not related to Shot and Tony Khan. Um, that he said, Vince has said, if the deal is right and they come to a deal, Vince will step away from the company. What does that look like? It's just hard to envision WWE without the McMahons. And I want to give credit to that by essentially talking about the last 100 years that the McMahon family has been involved in professional wrestling and now to this day still in WWE. Because I think it's very important to understand the McMahon um, link to professional wrestling, the McMahon's legacy in professional wrestling, and why seeing this sale is so enormous. So WWE, in some fashion, has been linked to the McMahons for decades. In fact, it was Vince McMahon's grandfather, Jess McMahon, back in, I guess it was the 1910s and 1920s, who was a booker um, that he was doing different types of events in New York. He was doing boxing matches and he was doing a few wrestling events. He didn't do a lot and he stuck and made a lot of contacts in New York and was successful. And he was a booker of different types of events at Madison Square Garden and in New York through the 20s. And then eventually his second son, Vince McMahon Sr., Vince McMahon, who you know today, his father took over and he started promoting wrestling. And a little more familiar with what some people are familiar with today in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, he started up the WWWF. So right now you have the WWE. Prior to that, you had the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation. They had to change, after a copyright lawsuit with the World Wildlife Fund, change them to WWE. Well, way back when, they were the WWWF under Vince's father, Vince Sr., the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Back when pro wrestling was considerably different than anything like you see today. 
Because prior to 1980, pro wrestling, if you're an old timer, you know, was territorial based. And what I mean by that is you didn't have this national product that you watched on your TV that was the same in every state in America. You had territories. Down here, we had the Florida Territory with Dusty Rhodes. I think Eddie Graham was an old wrestler who was here. And it'd be on local TV stations here in Florida. North of us, you had Georgia Championship Wrestling in Mid-Atlantic. They kind of morphed into what Ted Turner eventually bought up and turned into uh, World Championship Wrestling out of Atlanta. And they would host on WTBS, you may remember in the 80s, at uh, 6.05 Eastern for three hours, they would have their program. And they had guys like Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen and eventually Sting. You had Junkyard Dog out in the Mid-South Territory. He was very popular in Louisiana out toward Texas. And you had the AWA up in Minnesota. I grew up on Portland Wrestling, which is out in the northwest part of the country. And we had Roddy Piper, who was one of our big guys. Adam in California. But what I always kind of considered the biggest was the WWWF, and they were the Northeast Territory. They were New York, New England. And I always viewed them as the biggest, essentially because it was mid-1900s, and it was New England. That's where the vast majority population of the country at that time was. That's where the vast majority of wealth was. So I always viewed them as um, the biggest. And uh, all these territories kind of, it was not legal. I always kind of viewed it similar to the mafia, it wasn't criminal in any nature, but they had these territories and you didn't go into the other guy's territory. And it was tough guys who fought for a living. So that's kind of how I always viewed it. But they had this one governing body, so to speak. It wasn't legally binding, but it was called the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. And all these territories would agree on who the champion would be and they worked with each other and traded talent back and forth. But Vince Sr. kind of pulled away from that and tried to make the WWWF on his own there. And he had a lot of success. But then around the late 70s, early 80s is when everything changed. And that's when Vince McMahon, you know today, and his wife, Linda, decided to buy out his dad. And he bought out his dad and um, changed the WWWF into the WWF, which you know probably pretty well. Um, they dropped one W, and then something happened that changed everything. Because consider this is the early 1980s. Vince is a young upstart. He bought out his dad. Um, they were wealthy, but not exorbitantly wealthy. And they had money because they were booking a, a large territory at that point. But Vince recognized what was happening in this country with respect to the media. Cable television and VCRs were starting to become a thing. No longer were you relegated to an antenna or a, a rabbit ears on your roof and getting five to ten channels. All of a sudden, families across the United States were buying cable boxes, and you had 25 to 40 channels, depending on where you lived. Things were changing, and we were getting all these national cable channels, and Vince saw that and saw opportunity. And so he started making his product go national. He would take um, USA, and he'd put primetime wrestling out there. And, I think it was All-American Wrestling on Sunday afternoons. And then he would do what was called syndication. He would shop his programming around at different TV stations in different markets around the country and put his programming there. Saturday morning, they had superstars of wrestling. And he billed his wrestlers as superstars. Instead of wrestlers, they were superstars. It was great product placement. 
And so Vince starts to do this, and he does something that was a big no-no in this industry. He starts poaching stars from other territories, stealing the best and the brightest, the most famous of which was Hulk Hogan. And he was, he brought in Hogan out of AWA, and this is right around the time Rocky III, the movie, came out with Sylvester Stallone and Mr. T, and Hulk Hogan went on, and he played Thunderlips, and he played a professional wrestler who fought Rocky, and he, that's when Hulk started to get famous, and Vince brought him in. He brought in other guys. He brought in the Macho Man Randy Savage, the Iron Sheik, um, Big John Studd, Nikolai Volkov, Rowdy Roddy Piper. And the other territories aren't happy about this because he's doing a number of things. He's taking the top talent in the country and making them his own. And then he's going national. So essentially he's taking his programming, whereas if I'm Mid-South and I've got some programming on TV stations in Alabama and Louisiana and in Texas, Vince McMahon's coming in putting a much bigger budget operation on a competing TV station. And it eventually put um, in the industry in a lot of respects, out of business. Sorry, my computer is updating mid-podcast for me here, um, and I want to have some notes that we had prepared here. Um, but this was a big deal as he did this. So Vince brings all these people in, and then he does what I have often argued is possibly the most consequential wrestling angle in history. You can talk about what Steve Austin did in the 90s or what CM Punk did in 2011, but look at what happened in 1983 and 84. Because around this time, it wasn't just pro wrestling that Vince identified was big on cable. There was something even bigger, and that was MTV. MTV in the early to mid-1980s was the biggest thing for the under-20 crowd, and Vince identified that. And he did what was called the Rock and Wrestling Connection and he included two enormous stars in that to set up a wrestling angle, a wrestling feud. One was Mr. T. Mr. T had just starred in Rocky III. He was on the A-Team. He was appearing on different strokes and Silver Spoons, two very popular sitcoms at that time. And the other one was one of the biggest singers in the country at that point, was Cyndi Lauper. And he brought a few people into this gimmick, and they had crossover programming on MTV, essentially making this a viable feud in wrestling with Cindy Lauper, the manager, Captain Lou Albano, Mr. T, and the Hulkster. And they were everywhere. And then they had the evil villain and Rowdy Roddy Piper there to kind of be there to... Um, be the feud, and he had Cowboy Bob Orton, Randy Orton's father, uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff eventually got involved in all this. And it cannot be understated how important this rock and wrestling connection was, because this made pro wrestling, which historically in the territorial days had been your grandma in smoke-filled rooms in, in high school gymnasiums or bingo halls or um, armories in medium-sized cities, and it made it a national entertainment company. And it was a big deal. 
And as this is happening, Hulk Hogan's everywhere. He's on lunch boxes, he's on t-shirts, he's on cereal boxes, he's on Johnny Carson, he's on Entertainment Tonight, he's on Joan Rivers. Hulk Hogan became a real-life superhero alongside Mr. T for millions of children across the United States. And Vince McMahon, from a business perspective, cashed in on that like no wrestling promoter had ever done before. And then he and his wife, around this time, do something that was a very risky venture. They start trying to get WrestleMania. And I've heard stories about they put a lot of effort into getting the financing to put on this first super show, this first WrestleMania, which eventually became the Super Bowl of wrestling. And he did it. And I always remembered my favorite performer of all time in pro wrestling, Bobby the Brain Heenan, the greatest manager of all time. Bobby was inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think it was in 2004 with the WWE, and he went to give his speech. And this was when Bobby was starting to really develop bad throat cancer. Um, but he was still good enough to talk. And he gave uh, what some people consider the greatest WWE Hall of Fame speech of all time. And one thing he said that I'm bringing up now is what he said about Vince doing WrestleMania. A lot of the guys in the industry, these other promoters around the country, Bill Watts in Mid-South, um, you had the Crockett's in Georgia, you had AWA with Vern Gagne. They didn't think what Vince was doing was right. He was making this Hollywood. He was making it hokey. But then Bobby saw WrestleMania, and he goes, this guy's got Liberace, he's got Muhammad Ali, he's got Ray Charles and Cyndi Lauper and the Rockettes. This is a big deal. This guy's got his finger on something, I think is how Bobby put it. And he did, and it worked. And Vince eventually um, started making a major entertainment company. I will never say that WWE is on the level of the NFL or the NBA. But as far as public recognizability and branding of his company, they weren't that far behind. Everyone knew WWE. People wanted Hogan on their TV shows. And they wanted Hogan for their product placement and their commercials. And eventually guys like other guys would get into it. Um, guys like I just saw not too long ago Junkyard Dog on an old episode of American Bandstand with Dick Clark. And he was getting huge applause. You should look that up. It's good on YouTube. Um, so Vince is incredibly successful. And while this is happening, he's putting the other territories out of business. Save one. AWA and UWF was Mid-South. They tried to put their programming on TV. I remember as a kid watching them on ESPN. And as a child, I liked it. They really, I enjoyed it. I was a wrestling fan. But I always thought, it's just not as good as the WWF. It just doesn't have that something, that production value, that star quality, that mainstream targeting of children. It doesn't have the celebrities. It still felt bingo hall, gymnasium, smoke-filled room. And eventually Vince beat all of his competition. They all folded and sold to Vince or were just put out of business in some fashion. There was only one holdout, and that was that Georgia Championship Wrestling um, territory, um, which was also the, the area where the horsemen were, and Jim Crockett. And they held on. They kept going for a while. And um, so they were the only 
game in town by the end of the late 1980s, early 1990s. Vince had pretty much taken over the industry. But something happened in the early 1990s after what they call the, the, the golden age in the 1980s that really made the McMahons have to fight to keep their business. And that was the anabolic steroid scandal. When the federal government started targeting McMahon, when there was um, talk about um, the wrestlers had to look muscular had been using anabolic steroids and the WWF was maybe complicit in it. And Hulk Hogan had to go on national television, a superhero to millions of children say, yes, I've used steroids. That was a major damage to the industry, to the brand. And Vince, trying to run a major wrestling company, almost goes out of business because the federal government might shut him down. He may lose his freedom. But as Vince would eventually say and bragged about for decades, he beat the federal government. He beat it. He didn't lose. He didn't lose his shirt, and he kept his company, and he kept his freedom. Um, and this is not to glorify what Vince did or did not do. It's just how history remembers it. And so at this time, there's a lot happening. Hulk Hogan is moving on, and he's leaving the WWF, and he wants to go pursue acting. His acting career never did much more than B-movies, but at the time, it was a venture for him that he really wanted to pursue, and it didn't kill his body. Um, he did movies that were almost B-level movies like Suburban Commando and Santa with Muscles, and then eventually he started a TV show, which is kind of a mix of I don't know, Baywatch and pro wrestling called Thunder in Paradise, and it was on TNT owned by Ted Turner. And at this time, Vince is fresh off this trial, and he's fighting to keep his, his business alive. And he's trying to find new stars, new stars that maybe don't look like they do steroids, which is why Brett the Hitman Hart was one of the guys who was chosen. Brett looked like a good, muscular, and shaped guy, but you didn't look at Brett and think, that guy's probably doing those steroids that he just had that trial about that made mainstream news outside of wrestling media that general people who didn't follow wrestling had heard about. He got Shawn Michaels. Um, and around this time, Ted Turner and his now world championship wrestling out of Georgia decided to make a move. Eric Bischoff was the executive producer in charge of things for w, uh, WCW. And he was talking to Ted Turner. Bischoff has said this many times in interviews for decades, that his goal was to put Vince McMahon out of business. They're like, how do you do that? He said, give me Monday night. Let me go head to head with Monday Night Raw, which had just started up. And they did it. And Monday Nitro on TNT was started. And the Monday Night Wars began. And in addition to him getting a primetime spot on TNT, Vince was almost put out of business because Bischoff started stealing Vince's old talent. He got Hulk Hogan. He got Macho Man Randy Savage. He eventually got Scott Hall and Kevin Nash to start the New World Order, the NWO of wrestling. And there's Vince trying to keep his business afloat with very still childlike gimmicks, still somewhat appealing to children across the nation with guys like Crush and the Repo Man, and gimmicks that weren't that great. He was still targeting children, but the problem was those children who grew up in the 1980s, they weren't kids anymore. They were late teens, early 20s, and they wanted something a little edgier. And Vince saw that, 
as he's losing his shirt for 83 weeks. Uh, Eric Bischoff has a podcast called 83 Weeks when talks about the 83 weeks he was beating Vince McMahon in the ratings. And so McMahon had to change his business philosophy and the strategy of how they presented their product of WWF. And they started to become edgy and more adult-oriented. And then a guy named Stone Cold Steve Austin showed up and set the territory on fire, set the industry on fire, and essentially, in some respects, beat WCW. And, and if you hear Bischoff, he'll say that Austin did not put WCW out of business. Corporate merger put WCW out of business. WCW had been going strong and making money, and then Ted Turner sold his company and they were part of a Time Warner merger, one of the biggest media mergers in history at that point, and WCW was absorbed. And Time Warner didn't really want um, Turner products like wrestling in their portfolio. They didn't want wrestling, and eventually WCW went out of business. And in 2001, Vince bought them for pennies on the dollar, and that was a big deal to him. Um, to have, um, to be able to buy his competition, and he was eventually the last um, person standing in the pro wrestling community. WWE at that point, they had changed their branding, was all of wrestling. Pretty much all of wrestling in the United States. There had been some startups, Ring of Honor, um, TNA, tried to start up with Jarrett for a while. But it didn't, it could never hold a, a candle um, to WWE. WWE was by far the dominant company. Diehard wrestling fans may have checked out the other competition. And it stayed that way really until Tony Khan did what he did with AEW in 2019. Um, but Vince had something else happen that was bigger than all of it from a business perspective. I read about this in Jim Ross's book. JR started talking about. Um, that he got a call from Vince one day and he wasn't sure if it was like we have a big angle, a big pay-per-view, something big happening. And Vince said, no, this is bigger. We're going public. We're going to become a publicly traded company in the New York Stock Exchange. We are no longer going to be a privately held family business. We are going to get a massive infusion of cash and become this global branded publicly traded industry. And when I say global, that's another big thing for what had happened with Vince during this whole 20-year process. He took a Northeastern wrestling company, made it national, and then he made it global. They had big performances in Europe, in Asia, Japan, Australia, the Middle East eventually, probably South America. So he was making it big. Uh, and I want to interrupt the podcast really quickly to my uh, director, Ike, in there. Give me a time cue in my ear at your leisure. Um, but back to uh, what was, I'm sorry? We're 27. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. Trying to keep time because we're probably going to need to make this two episodes because there's just so much here. But um, anyway, Vince is successful in making a publicly traded company, and he is the CEO, the major shareholder there. And this is happening, you know, the early 2000s, the ruthless aggression era. John Cena is the, the man, or the rock has gone off to do Hollywood. Stone Cold Steve Austin is essentially retired from in-ring work. 
and now he's in the going into the um, John Cena, Randy Orton, eventually CM Punk era. And this is the time when people start to wonder, what's the long-term plans for WWE here? Vince McMahon is getting older. At this point, he's starting to get into his 60s. And questions start to be asked, who is going to take this over in the long run? Vince can't do it forever. Someday age is going to set in and he is going to need to either retire or step away or if he passes away someday. Who takes it over? At the time, you have a few options and his children. You have Shane McMahon. Shane had been very involved since the late 90s. He had been a performer. He'd been an on-camera uh, talent. He'd been involved backstage. Shane was very involved. But you start hearing stories that Shane McMahon, his son, may want to do something else, may not want to run a wrestling company like his dad and grandfather and great-grandfather did. So maybe it's not Shane. Well, at this time, Stephanie McMahon, his daughter, seems really interested, and she married a wrestler, famously. She married Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Paul Levesque, his real name. And they kind of become the on-screen people in charge for much of WWE's on-screen history. And she's really uh, involved backstage. Triple H is really involved backstage. The COO, as they promoted him, chief operating officer. So you think at this point, maybe it's going to go to Stephanie and Triple H. Maybe they'll take it over when Vince no longer is with us. And that's kind of where it seemed like it would go, that Stephanie and Triple H would take it over. But it was hard to believe to have wrestling without Vince McMahon because for much of pretty much anyone's memory, Vince McMahon had been in wrestling. And to have it without him guiding it, guiding it through all those things we just went over, able to know the, have the business ingenuity to put the other companies out of business in the 1980s and to identify what cable television was and to make Hulk Hogan mainstream. In the 90s to still keep his company and do everything he can to keep his company afloat when he's fighting the federal government and when he's fighting Eric Bischoff and Ted Turner and still do everything he can to keep. So obviously he has to love the business. So at this point in the 2010s, people are starting to say, is it Stephanie and Triple H? They probably have the passion like dad. Or is it sold to someone else? And would they have the passion to keep WWE afloat? That was the big question. If it was sold to a Comcast and WWE runs into problems, do they still want to keep wrestling on the portfolio? Which is why I brought up that Time Warner merger with WCW. You have non, a non-wrestling company coming into this unique industry in world championship wrestling. And WCW, it, it was a ship without a rudder at that point. They had a lot of problems in the later years of Nitro. But it was still wrestling. And a lot of large corporations may not have the love of it that um, Vince McMahon and the McMahon family do. So you have to wonder... Who eventually buys them out if this happens? Because if they sell it, it means that won't be Triple H and Stephanie McMahon taking this over anymore. I mean, Triple H has had health issues in the last few years. 
that he's talked about publicly and is, uh, that he was worried he was going to die from heart issues. Stephanie McMahon's raising a family. So you have to wonder if they do, in fact, want to keep doing this because it, as Vince showed, is an all-in um, endeavor. So now there's talk. Do they sell to the Saudis? Does that take WWE away from being really a U.S.-based television product and make it more of an international product? Um, we're going to talk, and I think I'm going to turn this into two episodes now. Um, so I want to ch save a lot of this for next episode. We will talk to a financial analyst about the, who's involved in this um, purchase process. And also we will talk to him about the cons. Because the cons are interesting to me. Because unlike Comcast or the Saudis or something else, Tony Khan loves pro wrestling. He has a passion for it. And his dad has illustrated he was willing to give his son a lot of money to start up a pro wrestling company. So you cannot discount what the cons bring to the table in Shot and Tony. Um, so you have to wonder if they are interested parties here. And what will Vince McMahon's role be? I have seen a recent uh, article about Kevin Nash doing a podcast and saying he thought Vince may have been intentionally overvaluing the cost of WWE because he didn't want um, to necessarily sell. And why has he come back into the company publicly after he had to leave following that sex scandal in the last couple of years? Why did he come back? What drove him back? And he said it was to help facilitate the sale of his company. Um, so we'll have to see what happens there. And can he get the $9 billion he's hoping for? Or does it come in as a, a lesser cost? And, and if he does sell, if the McMahons do sell, do they still have a role? Or is it a total buyout? Because you would have a lot of people in that company who might wonder, do I still want to work here if I'm not with Vince McMahon? Does a guy like Brock Lesnar stick around, even though he's always kind of been a part-time guy, he's left and he's come back. But does a guy like Brock Lesnar want to stick around, or Bobby Lashley, or Randy Orton, if you don't have the McMahons there? We'll have to see. Does he keep, does, would a new company keep their relationships open with John Cena and The Rock and Steve Austin, legends who they can still bring back who gain ratings? And then if they do this sale, what happens to the media rights deals? If it is, let's say, Disney or Comcast, I mean, does everything remain on Peacock? Because that video library is valuable. Uh, Nick Khan, the CEO, was talking about how that video library is a big part of their company. They have the video library. They have the media rights deals. They have their corporate offices in Connecticut. If Shot and Tony Khan buy it, would they keep those offices in Connecticut? They like to do business in Florida down here. Would they move it to Jacksonville? They have the entertainment center. WWE does down in Orlando. So there would be major restructuring. And even if it's not the Tony and Shad Khan, if the Saudis buy it, would they move everything? If, um, would they try and move it off Peacock and move it into some other platform? We would have to see. These are the, um, the questions that are really not answered at this point. And 
there's been a lot of cryptic responses I've seen in the media about who um, will buy it and WWE's not releasing a lot. I'm trying to get some of my notes out because I think at the rate we're going here, we've gone a little more than 30 minutes now and I do want to get to this independent show. We're going to do two episodes here. So next Wednesday, we will talk to the financial analyst about the cons and what they could do to fund a purchase of WWE if in fact they want to go that route. And what is Vince McMahon's role if he decides to um, you know, stick with the company in some fashion and maybe remain a minority share owner. Um, does Vince McMahon stick around? That's something we want to know a lot about. So, and we will also hear a little about from Tony Khan. I have an old interview I did with Tony Khan about AEW. Next week, I'll show that to you. Because if you're not familiar with Tony Khan and really want to know who this guy is, who's the second biggest wrestling promoter in the country, who may have an interest in WWE, next Wednesday, when we drop the next episode, um, we will uh, bring that in. So I do want to talk about one other thing before we go, and it's important because this Saturday at the Baker County Fairgrounds, there is going to be um, an event. They are having an independent wrestling event with the company Destiny Combat Championship Wrestling. They're new to me. I just talked to them um, a little bit ago, and I talked to their promoter, Vanessa Pender, about the event they have going on this weekend in Baker County. If you're interested, take a listen here about what they have going on Saturday, March 11th, at the Baker County Fairgrounds. Guys, you can roll the interview. Okay, we're now joined by Vanessa Pender, who's with Destiny Combat Championship Wrestling. They have an event coming up this weekend in uh, Baker County at the Baker County Fairgrounds. Vanessa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, sir. So tell me a little about your organization and what you guys do. A lot of it's in Baker County, but you tell me you guys travel all over. Yes, we are a local promotion. We do live pro wrestling. Our events are uh, run by my husband and I. We've been running events for about 10 years. We go to Gainesville, Baker County, Jacksonville, wherever we're invited to go, we go. And we love wrestling. We put on these big events that are like big family reunions. Mm -hmm. And we have professionals come in. They re they've, they've trained. They come in and they, they do wrestling. And then we sprinkle a little of the gospel over them and ask if anybody needs prayer and we read from the bible where do you get your wrestlers from i mean are they locally grown or do they travel around well, uh, my husband teaches a group right now of students that come from north florida ocala um, different parts of jacksonville but we have also guys that and ladies that have been wrestling professionally for many years out in the indie scene, the independent scene. And uh, they're incredibly talented, incredibly um, skilled, and they come in and do what they do, and the kids go wild. Sure. What's the independent, I, and I'm learning a lot since I started this podcast, I've had independent promotions reaching out, and I don't know a lot about it. What's the independent scene like for wrestlers in Northeast Florida? The independent scene is pretty awesome because it's where the John Cena's and the Rocks and the Rowan Reigns, that's where they get started. Mm -hmm. That's where they go out and, and they master their craft in front of an audience of 20 or 200. And they get to go out there and develop who they are as character and develop their skill sets. And so it's it's where the the, the, the heart of it is. And so sometimes and I'll, I'll hear about these inter independent promotions and you'll see one Saturday they'll have 
10 or 20 people. Another Saturday, they'll have 500. You know, yes. what is a, you know, how do you know if you're going to get a good crowd or not? Well, you really have to make, a, 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 you put effort into connecting with your community. We do a lot of outreaches for Christmas. Um, we do back to schools and we honor our police. We honor our veterans. Uh, this coming event, we are coming together with a group called the Isaiah House. And they are a nonprofit out of Baker County that is creating a, a place, a safe place for children that need to be adopted, that okay. need to be fostered. And so we really yoke up with nonprofits that um, need need to be seen, need a light put on them. So this Saturday, it is Destiny Combat Championship Wrestling. Tell me the who, what, when, where, what people need to know if they want to go out to Baker County this weekend. Okay, the show is at 6.30, so arrive, doors open at 6, but arrive at 5.45 because it gets really busy and exciting right at that time. A lot of things happening. We've got food for sale. All food goes to the Isaiah House nonprofit organization. All of our champions will be in the house. We've got the DCCW world champion, Chance Oren. We've got our DCCW national champion, Jake Logan. We've got our DCCW tag team champions, Controversial Inc. And our DCCW women's champion, La Brava. And then we've got uh, from that from from that group of people, we've got coming in. We've got Big Man Nation coming in with the Ghetto okay. Superstar. Uh, the list is endless and it's a family friendly event and, and is there a website or, or, or facebook page or something if people wanted to know more in case they didn't get it all here yes sir we are destiny combat championship wrestling on facebook we don't have a website right now but uh we can be contacted on facebook we have an instagram page and a youtube channel Got it. Thank you, Vanessa, so much for joining us on a short Thank notice. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. To meet you. Yes, sir. And and so that was Destiny Combat Championship Wrestling. Since we started this podcast, I've been reached out to by numerous independent uh, wrestlers and organizations here locally. We want to talk to all of you. We're going to do that as uh, the weeks go by. I have some, some episodes I need to get through, and I'll, I'll try and get to you as many as we can, but we appreciate you watching. Um, and we hope you'll spread the word to, if you know, once again, I said at the top of the podcast, if you know someone who likes pro wrestling, who you think might be interested, even if they're not from right in Jacksonville, we think we've got some broad-based stuff they could listen to. Give it a share on your social media pages. Let them know. Give us a like wherever you download it, either our uh, News for Jacks YouTube page or if you hear us on Apple or Spotify or uh, newsforjacks.com. Um, we hope you will give us a chance and tell your friends about it so they can maybe check out what we have going on here. So next week, we got through about half of it. I want to finish up on the sale of the WWE, and specifically, we're going to talk to a financial expert on whether the cons could actually do this. Could the cons here in Jacksonville purchase World Wrestling Entertainment? And if so, would it move? Could we see WWE headquarters across the river? I, not many people are talking about this, but you have an interested billionaire in pro wrestling in our city. So it's something we don't want to ignore. We'll talk about that next week. Um, and we're going to talk about so much more as there's always an ongoing development in this crazy industry that is pro wrestling. So we appreciate you uh, joining us today. And we will see you back here next Wednesday 
on Going Ringside with the local station. This has been Going Ringside with the local station, brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player, on News 4 Jax Plus, as well as the News 4 Jax YouTube channel.